Welcome to Chip Chat, an interview series that connects you with technology experts around the issues that industry is focused on today. And now your host, Allison Klein. Welcome to Chip Chat. My name is Allison Klein. Today, I've got Dr. Jason Knight, head of software product for the artificial intelligence platform group at Intel with me. Welcome, Jason. How's it going? Great. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for inviting me. So, Jason, you've got a very interesting background and very interesting role at Intel. Why don't we spend a little time on your background and how it's led you to this role working in artificial intelligence? So, my background is actually in computational biology. That's where I did my PhD, building statistical models for classifying tumor expression data in human patients and did some stint in uh, biotechnology after grad school. But, but really, I wanted to get closer to the machine learning algorithms that I was building upon and applying. And so I joined Nirvana to really push the state of the art forward in terms of algorithm design, use of deep learning for computational biology and hardware design as well. And then Intel acquired Nirvana and through kind of a series of different hats I've worn, I'm now uh, head of software product, as you mentioned, which basically means that I look at holistic view of Intel's product offering on the hardware side and how do we best serve that on the software side, especially given the amount of dynamicism and exciting activity that happens daily in the machine learning and deep learning fields in the software and algorithm space. So it's a very exciting but uh, challenging prospect. Now, the topic of the day is PyTorch. In this area of development is getting a lot of attention lately, but it's a new topic to chip chat. So can you just introduce PyTorch and how it relates to the broader libraries that are being developed within AI? Definitely. So there's quite a history of deep learning and really machine learning software library and ecosystem. And PyTorch is the latest iteration of deep learning frameworks that's become quite popular, especially in the research scene. And really, a deep learning framework is just a very kind of high-powered library in Python, generally. The main value add and and breakthrough with PyTorch is that rather than expressing your computation or desired computation in a graph-based approach and then pass that graph off to the deep learning framework to be executed, you instead use the Python programming constructs and control flow more naturally to express the flow of your deep learning algorithm. And so this is very useful for more flexible model topologies in the deep learning space, but it's also just more natural to program with because you can leverage the your existing knowledge of Python control flow constructs and debugging and IDE support. So it's a pretty natural fit for how to describe these models. And many researchers, including myself, on nights and weekends use PyTorch to run their uh, new deep learning experiments. Now, development of libraries is so critical to the accelerated delivery of AI capabilities across a vast number of application domains. What is specifically unique about PyTorch in terms of what it enables developers to do And how has the community embraced this library in terms of development? The main focus of PyTorch is laser focus on usability and the end user experience and making it as easy as possible to express the computations you want to run in the easiest way possible. And that laser focus to usability just makes things that are possible in other frameworks 
just easier and in such a way that it makes a real difference when you're trying to push the state of the art of this field forward and express new models and new types of control flow paradigms or stitching these matrix multiplications and convolutions together. One of the challenges is because the Python interpreter, which PyTorch leverages extensively for the control flow execution, and also due to the global interpreter lock, which has implications for how you can parallelize execution, the optimization of PyTorch has been an ongoing topic of interest to the PyTorch developers and to Intel. And we have been working with the PyTorch community to optimize PyTorch for various hardware that the users care about. When you look at Intel's role in the AI community and our contributions to these important libraries, where has Intel decided to contribute to PyTorch and how does that influence the core capabilities of the library in terms of running on Intel architecture-based platforms? Deep learning and really machine learning in general have a fairly small number of core computational primitives, namely matrix multiplication, element-wise operations on tensors and nonlinearities, and also convolution. And then these are stitched together in more and more complex ways as researchers figure out better ways to approach particular application domain problems. And so there's a lot of return on investment for optimizing these quite coarse computational primitives. And each matrix multiplication or convolution can take on the order of milliseconds. And so the Python interpreter overhead is somewhat a second-tier optimization. And so that's really driven our optimization efforts in PyTorch and other frameworks is making sure that these core computational primitives are the best possible available to users and making sure the build process kind of pulls those up automatically for users. Because there's several implementations of efficient matrix multiplication and convolution that exist out there. MKLDNN, the math kernel library, deep neural network, open source library that Intel provides to all users is one of the highest performance libraries out there. And so that's been kind of the initial thrust of our work is to make sure that MKLDNN operators are available to users so that when they're executing these matrix multiplications and convolutions, then those are naturally calling and leveraging the optimizations are extremely talented engineers have written these MKLDNN routines. That's kind of the first thrust of our work. One additional piece of that is our int8 optimization. So being able to take a model that normally you run in using 32-bit floating points, numerical accuracy and precision, when you can quantize these models down to use instead 8-bit integers, then you can leverage a great performance benefits in addition to reduced computation, you have a reduced memory bandwidth pressure. And so that's another aspect that the MKLDNN and also other work, such as our distiller project, are really trying to bring to the community in an easy way. And then the third piece of effort that we've done on PyTorch is the integration of our NGRAPH library and compiler to the PyTorch ecosystem. Because Intel has quite a lot of hardware available to solve the variety of workloads and domain problems that users have today, but also for the future. We want to make sure that there's a single hardware abstract interface to execute these computations across all platforms. And so the NGRAPH library is designed to be a higher-level graph-based interface to these computations that we've hooked into PyTorch so that users can execute their models and get the most performance benefits 
no matter which hardware platform that they're working on. And this requires a higher level of integration with the code base that we're working with the PyTorch developers on. Facebook is a leading proponent of PyTorch. They also shared some discussions about what they're doing to invest in this in terms of a true open library. Can you comment on why this is an important thing coming from Facebook? One of the interesting parts about the deep learning ecosystem is that a lot of framework developers have cloud-based machine learning solutions that they want to make the best possible to solve users' problems. And so they not only produce open source deep learning frameworks, but they also have these service-hosted machine learning platforms. And so what's really nice about both Facebook's approach and just the natural economics of the situation are that since they don't have a public cloud platform, then they really are seen as a very good steward for nurturing a fully open community-driven effort, not only in terms of garnering user feedback, but really being seen as the kind of open center of deep learning excellence in the future. What do you think the future holds for it, and what types of applications do you expect to be enabled by the PyTorch library? It's ultimately a trade-off between flexibility and performance. The more flexibility you have in a system, the harder it is to do static analysis and optimization passes and get efficient machine code. What I really like about the direction PyTorch is going with their PyTorch script and the jitting and tracing capabilities are that it really gives developers the tools to naturally capture parts of their model and their program that are more straightforward and amenable to static analysis and optimization and pass those off to Torch and by extension to hardware vendors, optimization libraries like Gengraph, for instance, in order to give you the best of both worlds, essentially. So the developer using PyTorch can use their natural you know, Python control flow for the complex dynamic parts of their model, but the core convolutions and gem operations, which dominate the compute cost of the model, they can kind of package those up and hand them off to an optimizer to do the memory liveness analysis and fusion routines necessary to get performance out of modern and future hardware. And so giving these kind of lightweight hooks to be able to describe both the static analysis portion of code that's more straightforward, but also represent the more complex regions of code with normal Python control flow and debugging, these two forces together being enabled in the same library is, is really powerful technique for addressing the hard problems that are coming down the pipe. Or, and we're already seeing in recent deep learning literature, you know, how do you handle the dynamicism required from modern research code, but also do that in an efficient way on current and future hardware. And so I think we'll just see bigger and more dynamic and ultimately more powerful and usable systems as a result. Fantastic. One final question for you, Jason. Where can folks find out more about Intel's work in PyTorch as well as our broader engagement around artificial intelligence? We have a website and blog at ai.intel.com. We also have a Twitter feed. I believe that's also Intel AI. And also just a call to action. Feel free to join us in the code, whether it's you know the PyTorch code base or the NGraph or MKLDNN code bases. They're all on GitHub. So come join in file issues, make PRs. We'd love to have you. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Jason, for being with us today. It's been a real pleasure. Likewise. Thanks for having me. Visit ChipChat online at intel.com slash chipchat 
And for more information on data center technologies, visit intel.com slash big data, intel.com slash cloud, and intel.com slash data center optimization.